there are religions all across this world and their purpose is trying to be good enough, trying to say enough prayers, trying to do enough pilgrimages, trying to gain enough favor with God to make it. But the fact is, all our righteousnesses are as filthy, filthy rags, Isaiah said. The best that we can do is not good enough to reach God's standard of perfection. But the moment we realize that we are in fact a hell-deserving sinner and there's only one way of salvation, Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In the time in our lives where we are willing to put our faith and trust in Him and in Him alone, to take our dependence off of ourselves and place it fully in Him and the price that He paid on the cross when He died was buried and rose again. The Bible says at the moment of salvation when we trust and put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I believe that this is fulfilled through the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And really, I don't know why you would try to live life any other way. Why <laughs> Life doesn't make sense unless God is in the center of it. Life doesn't work unless it is lived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in the heart of each and every one that has trusted Christ as Savior. And when he does take up residence, the God really begins in, in the side of a Christian a new life. A fire begins burning, if you will. But if you've been saved any length of time, you know that this old life has a way of trying to put out our fire. You know if you've been saved for any length of time that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You realize that it's not all up, 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 up. Sometimes, sometimes we got some lows. With the mountains come the valleys. And sometimes the circumstances and the trials and the troubles that we face in this life would seek to extinguish our flame. It would seek to put out the fire that God has put within us. But I want you to know that God can keep that fire burning. And He has given us everything that we need to live and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Really, that is the definition of revival. That is really what revival is all about. People think revival is some mystical thing where, where God you know, moves in a, in a, in a, in a mighty way. And, and I believe that there is an aspect of God moving in supernatural, moving in unusual ways that goes with revival. But I want you to know that on a personal level, you can have revival in your heart today. You can experience what it is to walk in victory. You can experience what it is to have nothing between your soul and the Savior. You can experience what it is to have the fire of the Holy Spirit burning within you. But again, it's going to be a battle. <laughs> this is not something that's going to come naturally. We can't just live our lives and expect by accident for us to be living and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and be living in personal revival. But I'm glad that God gives us the blueprint. I'm glad that God gives us the tools that we need to live an abundant life. You see, I don't believe it's God's will for us to just be barely scraping by, barely making it day after day, barely surviving emotionally and physically spiritually in this world. Now, I'm not saying there's no such thing as trials. There's no such thing as problems. But I believe that Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, he didn't come to bring you a miserable life, but he came to bring you an abundant life. 
Not a life that doesn't have problems, but a life in which you can still have the joy of the Lord. A life in which you can still be effective in your witness. A life in which you can still make a difference down here on this earth. Yes, we look forward to heaven. And I, I think that the, that the longer that life goes on this earth, the sweeter that heaven gets. Because we got more to look forward to. Because we got more aches and pains for Jesus to take away. Because we have more loved ones who have gone on before that we are looking forward to, be re, to being reunited with. But until heaven comes, until we have a glorified body, until all tears are wiped from our eyes, I believe God has an abundant life for us down here on this earth that he wants us to have access to. And so I want to take you through a story of two disciples. Two disciples here in Luke 24 who I believe experienced revival. Who I believe experienced a change in their condition. Who went from really a kind of a hopeless condition at the beginning of our story and by the end of our story we see that they were filled with passion, filled with boldness, filled with purpose. And I believe as we look at the Emmaus Road and what I'm calling today the title of our message, The Road to Revival, I believe that we can find encouragement wherever the road of life finds us today. And so can we begin reading in Luke 24 and verse number 13 this morning? Would you look down there? The Bible says, And behold, two of them, went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one, with, that ye have one to the other? Sorry, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Can we pause and ask the Lord to help us as we look into his word this morning? Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it's a perfect book. I thank you that we don't have to wonder, do we have God's word? is Is it really what God said? Lord, we can put our faith and our trust in your book. And I thank you that you've given it to us so readily available, Lord. You've given it to us that we can open it and we can study it and we can hear from it this morning. Lord, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at today. I pray you'd take your word and you'd minister to a heart in a way I never could, Lord. But would you take your word and would you do that? Would you help us be encouraged, Lord? Would you get us back to living in the abundance and in the power of the Holy Spirit today? We'll give you all the praise and the glory for anything that takes place, Lord, because only you are worthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want us to notice this morning as we consider the road to revival, I want us to notice the disciples' condition. As I look down here at this passage, we see that there are two disciples. The Bible names one of them for us down in verse number 18, one of them whose name was Cleopas. This was not one of the 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles, One that was a follower of Jesus. One who had seen his ministry. One who had been affected by the Son of God being made flesh and living amongst us. Sometimes I I think, man, it must have been amazing to see Jesus in person. It must have been amazing to be able to touch the Son of God. It must have been amazing to be able to hear the timbre of his voice. 
But Peter said it this way, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You see, the, the disciples just had Jesus for a short time. They, they just had Jesus at, at different times. They didn't always have unfettered access to him. But I want you to know this morning that us as, as Christians, us as child of, children of God here in 2023, we can, we can touch Jesus whenever we want to. We can speak to him whenever we want to. We can be in his presence whenever we want to. <laughs> the Bible says, come boldly unto the throne of grace. And I'm so thankful that perhaps even though we don't see Jesus, we don't hear his voice, that we have such access to his heart and such access to his love recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. And one day our faith will be made perfect sight, and I cannot wait for that day. But I'm telling you, sometimes we can be envious of the, of the Bible characters, the Old Testament saints who heard God's voice, or the New Testament saints who actually walked with Jesus. But I believe they would be envious of us, <laughs> having a completed copy of God's Word. We have everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus in this dark world found within the pages of Scripture. Though we see here these two disciples who had been affected by the ministry of Jesus, and right before this passage, you know, you know what has taken place. Jesus has been crucified. They have taken him. They have stripped him. They have beaten him to a bloody pulp. They have made him carry the crossbar of his cross up a hill, and he couldn't even do it from, from the weakness of, of the beatings. They had to have another man help him, Simon, carry his cross. They took him up on that hill called Calvary, and they, and they nailed his hands to that cross. They nailed his feet to that cross and then dropped it in a hole and every bone of his body, the Bible says, was pulled out of joint. They had watched the Son of God murdered. They had watched the one that they had put their faith and trust in, the one that they loved with all their heart, put to death. And as we consider the disciples' condition, we see that Jesus points out to us exactly what it is in verse number 17 when he asks them, what manner of communications are these you have one with another as you walk and are sad? We see, firstly, their condition is, with, is that they had sad hearts. They had sad hearts. These were two individuals that were grieving. Their hearts were broken. And I dare say there's many in this room who know exactly what that feels like. Know exactly what it is to have your heart broken. Know exactly what it is to not just be sad, but be grieving. To, 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 to have a situation that so weighs on your heart that as you walk, you, you, you don't really even see a way forward. You don't even understand how, how it is we're going to make it through this. But I want you to notice, I believe that one of the telling factors of the state of our hearts as Christians, one of the telling factors of the state of our lives as children of God, is do we have the joy of the Lord on our face? I believe that a revived Christian is a happy Christian. <laughs> Nehemiah verse eight, chapter 8 and verse 10 at the end of the verse says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. I believe 
Christians should be happy people. I believe it with all my heart. If we're just walking around with our, with our shoulders drooped, we're walking around with our, with our chin on the ground, we're walking around defeated and discouraged, why should the world want anything of what we have? Why should they be attracted to the Jesus that we say that we serve, the one that we say is our joy and our strength, when it's not written on our face? I believe that we ought to be joyful Christians. I believe a revived Christian is a singing Christian. <laughs> Psalm 95 verse 1, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. But have you ever been in a time in your life where it seems like your song was gone? You ever been to that place where it seemed like the joy was nowhere to be found? <laughs> really, where, <laughs> where these disciples were is they thought that Jesus was gone. You ever been there? Where it seemed like your prayers weren't getting past the ceiling? Where it seemed like that you know that the Bible says that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. You know that, that he's always there, but it seems, like, it seems like he was so far away you couldn't even reach him. Jesus said they had sad hearts as they talked about it. They, they, they talked together of all the things that had happened. But we see down in verse 25, Jesus points out something else about the condition of these two disciples. The Bible says, Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Not only did they have sad hearts, but they had slow hearts. And really what this is talking about is they did not understand what Jesus was up to. They did not understand what God was doing. I've been there. God, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you up to? I don't, I don't see a purpose. I don't see a plan in any of this. This just seems like senseless suffering. These disciples, Jesus was supposed to save them. And in their minds, that meant that Jesus was supposed to overthrow Rome. The Roman oppression upon the Israelites, they thought Jesus was going to come and he was going to overthrow Rome and that he was going to set them free, that he was going to break the, 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 the captivity that they were under. And they thought this is what Jesus was going to do. He was going to beat Rome. But then it seemed like Rome had beaten Jesus. The very ones he was supposed to overthrow had nailed him to a cross. And they were saying, I believe... What do we do now? We followed him. We believed in him. We trusted in him. But he didn't come through in the way that we thought he would. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Mark it down. When you don't understand what God's doing, he's up to something. When it doesn't seem like there's a plan, oh, he's got a plan. When it doesn't seem like he's doing things the way that you thought, it's because he's got something better that he's up to. You hearing me this morning? When you don't see it, it's because you have limited understanding. You have a limited view. You have a limited finite perspective. But our God is infinite. Our God is bigger than any problem that we have. Our God has all power. Our God is omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees how it's all going to work out. And when he's up to something that we don't understand, it's because it's bigger than us. And it's better than us. And it's better than, than our perspective. And it's better than our plans. He's up to something. 
And these disciples thought he was supposed to save us from Rome, but Jesus really was, was, and we'll see this as he opens up the word of God and he explains to them, he says, listen, I'm up to saving you for something a whole lot worse than Rome. I have plans to save you from your sins. That's way more important than saving you from Rome. But they didn't see it. They didn't understand. The sad thing is, the Pharisees understood better <laughs> what Jesus was up to than his own disciples. Over in Matthew 27, as Jesus dies on the cross, the Pharisees come to Pilate. And they say in verse 63 of Matthew 27, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so shall be the last error, shall be worse than the first. The Pharisees understood. <laughs> this guy said he was going to rise from the dead. We better set a guard on the tomb so that the disciples don't come in the middle of the night and steal away the body and say, he has risen. They didn't even have to worry about that because the disciples didn't get it. They weren't going to come and steal away the body. They didn't understand. His own disciples. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. I know many of you have been saved longer than I've been alive probably. But there's going to come some times when you don't get it. When you don't understand. And the amazing thing to me is, is that Jesus, he comes here and he meets these disciples on the road. And they don't even recognize him. Their eyes were holding, the Bible says, so they didn't even recognize him. <laughs> Sometimes God will be doing a work. He'll be right there in the middle of that situation that we're whining and complaining and throwing up our hands about. And he's working, but we won't see it because we're so focused on the problem. We got sad hearts. We got slow hearts. And can I say this? And listen to me now. If you find yourself in this state where you don't understand what God's doing, that's not the time to run away from God. That's not the time to get out of church. That's not the time to, to stop reading your Bible and start reading uh, what the world has to say. No, no, that's the time to run to him. That's the time to say, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to be in church every time the doors are open. I'm not, I don't understand what God's doing in my life. I, I got these situations I can't control. I, I got to get to church. I got to be there. I got to be under the preaching. I need more preaching in my, in my life, not less preaching. I need more time in the Word of God, not less time in the Word of God. <laughs> when you don't see what God is doing, this is not the time to run elsewhere for answers. We talked about Jonah this morning. Jonah didn't understand why God was sending him to Nineveh, and he decided, I'm going to run the opposite direction. Not a good choice. I think of Sarah. There in the Old Testament. And God promises her and Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Sarah's looking over at Abraham. Dude's like 99. And she's looking at herself. I'm like 89. Um, <laughs> the, window, the, the window done passed a long time ago, Lord. I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how you're going to make this one work out. And so Sarah says, hey, why don't you take Hagar? Maybe, 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 maybe that'll be the solution. Maybe, maybe we can have a child through Hagar and, and, and that'll turn out. Maybe that's what God meant. 
Maybe that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. Beware of making big, life-altering decisions when you don't have God's clear leading and direction. I'm telling you, beware. There's a lot of times people say, I don't know what God's doing, so I'm just going to make my own choice and go my own way, and hopefully God will figure it out. Whoa, whoa, time out. That's a good way to get yourself going off a cliff real fast. And we all know how that turned out for, 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 for Abraham. Nothing but problems. In fact, may I say, we're still feeling the effects of, of Sarah and Abraham trying to take God's will into their own hands to this day in the, the conflict in the Middle East. This is not the time to try to figure it out yourself. This is not the time to run away from God. This is the time to run to Him when we're confused, when we're grieving, when we don't understand what God's doing. But I'm so glad that not only we see the disciples' condition, but we see the divine confrontation. <laughs> Aren't you glad that sometimes when you're on this road of life, and it's a hard road, and it's a long road, and it's a dusty road, and it's a sweaty road, and, 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 and there's problems on the road, and you're, you're stubbing your toe on the rocks, and it's, just, it's hard, it's rough. Aren't you glad for the times when Jesus shows up? Aren't you glad for those answers to prayer? Aren't you glad when he speaks to your heart in a special way as you listen to his word being preached? Aren't you glad when you, when you open your Bible, and I don't know about you, but when I'm going through some things, I, I go to the Psalms. <laughs> Aren't you glad when you open up a Psalm and David, it seems like he's saying exactly what your heart's saying? And, and let me tell you if, you, if you're, if you, if you're sitting there this morning and you say, I don't know if I've ever experienced any of those things. Oh my goodness, you're missing out. You're missing out. Run to Jesus when the problems come. Run to his word. Get to your knees and you'll see. You'll start to see God's perspective instead of just your own. But I'm so glad when Jesus interrupts our road. I'm so glad that when, when we're in this hopeless condition that Jesus, he'll step in. Even when we don't realize it's him at first, he'll step in. We see the divine confrontation. Jesus comes, and they tell him, we're, 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 we don't understand what's going on. Verse 18, one of them whose name is Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass in these days? <laughs> He's like, are you, are you, have you not been around? Do you not have ears? Do you not know what's going on? Everybody knows. Everyone's talking about it. Verse 19, he said unto them, what things? <laughs> now, did Jesus know what things? Yes, he knows everything. God, when he's asking questions in the word of God, Jesus, when he asks questions, he's not asking because he needs information. He's asking because he's trying to get us to think. He's trying to get us to slow down and, 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 and break this thing down. Sometimes I think we don't get help because we're not willing to be still. Be still and know that he is God. That's a lost art today. I'm telling you, we're, we're so busy running here and there and this thing and that thing and that schedule and this schedule and this activity and that activity and, uh, and we finally get five minutes to sit down on the couch and what do we do? God can't even speak to us because he can't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> but here he finds them on the road. He says, what things? They said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we trusted 
that it, sh- that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. <laughs> we trusted. Do you see the hurt? We trusted. And now it's been three days. That should have jogged something in their memory, I think, right there. <laughs> wait, 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 three days. When, when have we heard that before? <laughs> oh. And in verse 25, Jesus says, Oh, fool, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And Jesus says, listen, this, this is the whole point of why I came. Christ needed to suffer. Verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a Bible study that must have been. To have Jesus walk you through the entire Old Testament, basically, and explain himself. I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I, I, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of those, that's one of those <laughs> outlines I wish I could get. Lord, give me that outline. I want to preach that one. But where does he take them? This divine conversation. Where does Jesus take them <laughs> when their, their hearts are sad? Where does Jesus take them when they don't understand, he takes them to the scriptures. And I think we can do no better than Jesus. If you find yourself in this condition like these disciples, you need to get in the scriptures. I preached it to the young people yesterday. I, I begged them, I pleaded with them, get into your Bible. I'm telling you, I think that we have a famine of getting into the Word of God. We have a bunch of emaciated and a bunch of of Christians that are barely hanging on spiritually because we're so (laughs) malnourished spiritually. We need to get into the Word. We need to love God's Word. We need to realize that the answers for the questions that come across our path can be found in God's Word. I think we often take for granted this powerful book that has been given to us. I remember uh, hearing a story about a pastor who went to China. And he went to China with the, with the, the, the heartbeat and with the, the plans to have a leadership training seminar to get some of these Chinese Christian leaders and pastors together and to encourage them and to give them some tools to minister all over China and the different places, the different underground churches. And so he comes to the Hunan province there in China, and he's going to hold this training seminar. And many of these Christians took up to a 13-hour train ride, 13 hours, to make it to this leadership training seminar to be held in a 700-square-foot hotel room. As they got started with the meeting, the, the pastor, just out of curiosity, asked the group of of the 22 Christians assembled, how many of you have spent time behind bars? Have spent time in jail for preaching the gospel? And out of the 22, 18 hands went up. Pastor was, I mean, he was was kind of blown away and, and, and just out of curiosity he asked, so what if we get caught here today? What would happen The authorities catch wind of our meeting here today and they were to catch us. And the Christians say, well, you would be deported within 24 hours. You'd be out of the country, never allowed to come back. And we would have a minimum three-year prison sentence for being here. 
and yet they still, 13-hour train ride, no problem. We want to be there, and we want to learn. We want to be filled with the Word of God. At the beginning of the lesson, the pastor realized he only had 15 Bibles to pass around, and so seven people had to go without as he began the, the, the lesson, he said, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read the entire chapter together. And one lady that was sitting there handed her Bible to someone else. And as they read the chapter together, he realized that she was quoting the entire thing from memory. When it was done, he went over to her at the, during one of the break times and said, you, you recited the entire chapter of, of 2 Peter 1. She said, yes, <laughs> I've memorized it, for you have much time in prison. And he said, how in the world do you memorize scripture in prison? I mean, won't they, won't they confiscate Bibles? Won't they confiscate you know, Christian materials if you bring them in? And she said, oh, yes. Oh, yes, they will. And so what we do is we get little scraps of paper and we write out as much scripture on it as we can. And we pass it along. And if you get one of those little scraps of paper, you memorize it as fast as you possibly can before they find it and they confiscate it. She said, this is how we learn the Bible. Through little scraps of paper passed around a prison cell. They can take the paper away, she said, but they can't take away what's in your heart. Following the three-day training session, one Chinese Christian man uh, made the comment as, as the pastor was asking, how can we pray for you? I mean, other than the obvious, you're under this persecution. How can we pray for you? One of the Chinese men said, pray. I mean, we, over in America, you can, you can meet whenever you want. You have as many Bibles as you can possibly, uh, as you can possibly want and possibly buy. And you can share the gospel without fear. Would you pray that, that someday we would be able to be like you? American pastor shook his head and said, I will not. You travel 13 hours by train just to be here. If folks in America have to travel more than half hour or 45 minutes, they're not coming. You sit on the hard floor for three days listening to the word of God. And, and if we don't have padded pews over in America, people won't come. You sit in this room without air conditioning in, in the, the heat and sweating. And if the, the air conditioner is broken, forget that. We'll just cancel the whole service. And every household has, has at least two Bibles, if not more, per person in, in America. But we don't read them. And yet you get little scraps of paper and you devour the word of God and hide it in your heart as fast as you possibly can. I will not pray that you will become like us. But I pray that we will become like you. Listen to me now. Revival begins when we make a decision that we are going to seek the Lord while he may be found. That we are going to search for him with all of our hearts. I want you to notice that not only did Jesus in this divine confrontation, not only did he take them to the scriptures, but I want you to see what he does in verse number 28. The Bible says, and when, or and they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. 
But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Listen to me now. God will reveal himself to you. And he has revealed himself to us in his word. But this will not be life-changing for us until we make the decision to seek him. Yes, Jesus revealed himself to them in the scriptures, but they made the choice that we are going to seek God. He was going to keep on walking by. Did you see that? He made as though he would have kept on going. But they constrained him. They said, no, 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 you can't, you can't keep going. Come, come into the house. Come, the, the day is late. Come, come and spend the evening with us. Come, have a meal with us, Jesus. It's going to take us seeking him, folks. It's going to take us getting to a place of our, in our lives of desperation where we realize I cannot do this on my own anymore. I cannot continue living the same way, the same lukewarm Christianity that I have been living. I need to seek him and seek him until I find him. May we have the attitude of Jacob there in the book of Genesis when he said, I will not let thee go until, until you bless me. I will not let thee go. At first, at the beginning of that story, <laughs> Jacob is fighting against God. But by the end of that story, he's hanging on for dear life, saying, I will not let thee go. I will not let thee go until you bless me. David said it this way in, in, in uh, I'm sorry, in, in Proverbs it says, in Proverbs 8 and verse 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. David said it this way in Psalm 63, 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. We need to seek the Lord. And don't let him go by. You see, Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on anybody. He's not going to kick his way into your house, but he does stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear his voice and will open the door, he will come in and will sup with them. That's exactly what happens here in this story. I want you to notice as we wrap up, number three, the dynamic consequences. The dynamic consequences of Jesus coming into the house. Verse number 30, the Bible says, And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And then in verse 31, it says, And their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. I think perhaps as Jesus sat down at meat and he took that bread and he broke it, they said, Wait, we've seen that before. <laughs> We've seen that before, and as they looked a little closer, perhaps they noticed for the first time those nail prints in his hands. And they said, wait a minute, wait. That, that's Jesus, that's him. And the Bible says that he vanished out of their sight. I want you to notice, firstly, as we think of the consequences, the dynamic consequences, that firstly, he sanctified their home. You see, dinner with Jesus turns into a communion service. Let me ask you something. Is Jesus welcome at your home? Is he welcome at your home? Do you spend time as a family studying the word of God? Do you spend time as a family getting to know God? I'm, listen, personal devotions are important and they're number one, but I believe in family devotions. I believe as a family we ought to be seeking the Lord together. Men, I believe that responsibility lies with, lies with you as the leader of your home to say, you know what? 
<laughs> we're going to turn off the television. We're going to turn off the game. We're going to, after dinner, whenever you have time, in the morning, in the, I don't care when it is, but you're going to say, we're going to make it a priority in this house to seek God. And Jesus comes in and he sanctifies a house. I wonder, I wonder maybe if we don't have revival because we're afraid to let Jesus in the house. Oh, we're, we're okay with him you know, being in the living room. You can be in the living room, Lord. We're all right with that. But don't you be going upstairs in the bedrooms. <laughs> we, didn't, we, we didn't get to cleaning those yet, Jesus. Don't, don't be going up there. Whoa, whoa, Jesus, don't be going in the closet. There's some skeletons in there that we're trying, to keep, we're trying to keep hidden in there. Don't be going in those. But the fact is, Jesus wants to interfere with your life. <laughs> He's not about just putting a little paint on the outside. He wants to go in and renovate. He wants to go in and bust out some walls. He wants to go in and tear down some strongholds. He wants to go in and tear out some idols. But will you allow him to come in? He sanctified their house. I want you to see number two. He also set their heading. Look at what happens in verse number 32. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures, we'll come back to that verse, but look what happens in verse 33. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared in Simon. Here's what happens. They had just taken the trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus, some seven miles or so. They had just walked that, that, that distance. With Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus, but they had walked that distance with Jesus. They get home to the house. They realize who it is that they're speaking with. They realize who it is that expounded to them the scriptures. Their hearts begin to burn within them. And the Bible says that same night, they didn't wait till morning, <laughs> that same night after the meal, I don't even know if they ate the meal. The Bible says Jesus broke the bread and disappeared. I don't even know if they ate the meal. That same night, they went all the way back, seven miles back to Jerusalem because they had to tell somebody. <laughs> Listen, we saw Jesus. Oh, he, he was walking with us, by the way. Uh, he expounded to us the scriptures. He is risen. Listen to me now. When we're revived, when our hearts burn within us once again as we spend time with God, service is no longer a duty. It's a delight. Oh, I have to go to church. No, no, I get to be in God's house. Oh, I have to go visiting on Saturday. No, 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 I get to tell people about Jesus who changed my life. Sometimes we try to work on the outside. We got to say, oh, I got to get the outside just right. But let me tell you, Jesus works from the inside out. <laughs> and when your heart is thrilled with Jesus, when, you're, when your spirit is full of the Holy Ghost, <laughs> when you're living in his power, you can't but speak the things that you've seen and heard. The disciples said in the book of Acts, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. And now they go from, what do we do? Where do we go? I don't, I don't understand. And now they got purpose again. <laughs> now they got a direction to, to, to go. And they run. I, I don't believe that they, 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 they're dragging their feet. And <laughs> I, I believe that the, the trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus and the trip from Emmaus to Jerusalem looked very different. <laughs> one was oh, oh and the next was come on we gotta tell him we gotta tell him Jesus is alive and if you're not thrilled with Jesus today perhaps it's time you get back in the secret place 
Perhaps it's time you, as David, say, ah, my heart panteth after thee, O God. Would you fill me? Would you, would you set me on fire again? My, my fire is burned out. Set me on fire again. I want you to see finally, let her see, he satisfied their hearts. And we see that in verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us? Listen to me. You can try to satisfy your heart with all, any number of things. And the devil has a whole long catalog that he wants you to browse through. Whole long catalog of stuff that he says is going to satisfy your heart. Money, that's what you need to live for, is going to satisfy your heart. Lust, that's what you got to live for, is what's going to satisfy your heart. Position, fame, he's got a whole long list of stuff, but let me tell you something today, nothing satisfies like Jesus. Nothing. And you can try whatever you want to stuff into that Jesus-shaped hole, but only Jesus fits. Won't you seek him today? He'll satisfy your heart. He, he satisfied their hearts. And, and, and look at what happens as they're, as they're telling the disciples, we saw Jesus, verse number 36, while and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, peace be with you. <laughs> he brings peace. Such a far cry from the beginning of this story. Look at him now. Their hearts burn within them. They're full of peace. Finally, verse number 49, we, I, won't, I, I challenge you to, maybe when you get home, look at this whole passage. My, it's, it's such an encouragement. But in verse 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. <laughs> he satisfied their hearts. He gives them peace, and he gives them power. Listen to me, you try to serve the Lord, you try to live this Christian life in your own power, you're going to be frustrated. It's frustrating because it's not meant to work that way. But let me tell you when the power is back. <laughs> that word power is the word we get dynamite from. When the dynamite is back, oh, then, start, then, 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 <laughs> then mountains start moving. Then prayers get answered. Then lives get impacted. And that's what God wants for each and every one of his children. If you find yourself today with a case of cold heart, a case of sad heart, or a case of slow heart this morning, God promises that if we will seek him, we can have a case of heavenly heartburn this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, would you help us, Lord? We, we, we get so casual with it. We get so used to it. We have so many copies of it laying around, Lord, that, that if we're not careful, Lord, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves neglecting it.